Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Acts 4, 29-31 says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And they prayed, and after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Men, it is time. It's time. It's time for this place to shake every time we meet here at Man Challenge. Not because Jeff Gardner and Eric Wood are deadlifting, which it would shake, but we're talking about a different type of shake. We're talking about shake that happens when boldness is displayed on our part in speaking the word of God in the name of Jesus. If we do that, this place will shake, this community, it'll shake, and it's time. It's time we stop being led by our penises, by greed, and by a continual lust for more. And it's time that we start being led by the Holy Spirit, no matter how much that costs us. Because the Holy Spirit gives us all authority, all authority in this lifetime, in Jesus' name. For some of you... As Bob Goff would say, it's simply going to take a quarter of a twist to align yourself like that. But for many of us, it's going to require a completely, completely, a complete realignment through confession and repentance. The kind that uh, 2 Corinthians, I think, 7.10 talks about. You know, it talks about godly sorrow leads to repentance it leads to salvation, but worldly sorrow leads to regret. Please don't confuse passion and great sense of urgency with anger because this is a scary, exciting time, I believe, to be alive. John 12, 42 to 43 says, Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear. They would be put out of the synagogue. For they love praise from men more than praise from God. Guys, I can, in a scary way, relate to that verse on a lot of days too well. Because I can struggle with praise from men trumping my desire for praise for God, from God if I'm not careful. Because I love praise from men. Um, you men, in fact. Which isn't evil, but that's not what this is about. And as one of your men's pastors, Long Mason, uh, I am committed to to you men that that I will prayerfully lead you 
in 2020 out of surrender and out of resolve. Surrender to him and his leading, even when it proves unpopular and uncomfortable for me personally and as a, as a group of men, and resolve to speak his word boldly. And today we're in Mark 2. And I want to catch you up to speed real quick uh, regarding what's already happened in, in Mark, the first, first uh, chapter of Mark in, in the life of Jesus. And so first off, John the Baptist, he's, he's already been preparing the way for Jesus. And Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist. And, and this is, Jesus is the only person that's ever baptized um, that was for a different reason than for us to be baptized. And that was, he was baptized to model the way for us. And the Holy Spirit has already sent him into the desert where he had been tempted for 40 days by Satan. By 40 days. He had hit a point of severe star- symptoms of starvation by day 35. Science tells us that. Um, and he fasted the whole time. And it was that the entire 40 days, he hit a point of this, and in the midst of it all, Satan tempts him with three specific temptations, with power, with fame, and with food of all things, when he's at a point of starvation. He resists it. Jesus has begun calling some men uh, to follow him. They become known as his disciples. Jesus has driven out an evil spirit in a man. Many people witnessed this and they were amazed. And and what is the natural response uh, when we witness something amazing? We talk about it, right? And so, which is what these people did. And so news about him had started spreading rapidly. Jesus has gone on to heal many people. Simon's uh, fever-bound mother-in-law. All the sick, it says all the sick came to him. The demon possessed come to him. And many who had various diseases, and he's healing one person after another. Jesus has gotten up very early in the morning and gone off to a solitary place to pray. Jesus has healed a man with leprosy. And even though Jesus instructs this man to not tell anyone, but instead go go show his priest so that they can make Moses sacrifices, and what's he do? He does what many of us are guilty of doing. He directly disobeys what Jesus asked him to do, and what happens when we disobey? It hurts Jesus as a result of this man's disobedience. Now Jesus can no longer walk about freely and enter towns freely because of mobs. So he can't choose where to go. Because of this man's obedience. So now he has to stay outside in lonely places. But guess what? When we see amazing things, we don't just stop with a lame attempt to get to somebody. And that's what all these people start doing. They they figure out where he is. And it says the people still came to him from everywhere. So now we're caught up and we're going to jump in to Mark chapter 2 verses 1 to 12. Caption in my Bible in the NIV says, Jesus heals a paralyzed man. Verse 1, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic 
carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let's go back to verse one and I want us to start breaking this passage down. Verse 1, it says, a few days later. A few days later from what? Or after what? Well, a few days later, after Jesus had gotten up early in the morning and gone off to a solitary place to pray. Well, why would he do that? He was going to spend time hearing from his heavenly Father's voice and spending time getting to know his heavenly Father and leaning in to, God, what do you have for me next? What do you want me to do on your behalf? And so he's preparing for his next assignment as a servant. In other words, Jesus prepared for each next step by getting away from the noise. It's important lead up to here. When Jesus has healed the man with leprosy, I believe it's worth noting that he didn't heal this man with leprosy, drop his mic, and go on vacation to rest. He says, no, he goes, getting right back in there and he engages people because he modeled a posture of being a servant we go into verse two so many gathered that there was no room left the message says a crowd gathered jamming the entrance so that no one could get in or out Not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Jesus, guys, Jesus always preached the word. Why is that? Because the word was truth. He always preached truth. The Bible, scripture. He never did seminars on best practices. Fake it till you make it. Perhaps because he knew that this principle. Perhaps he knew that, man, if I teach truth, then they're going to, know who they are, and if they know who they are, then they're going to know what to do. And I don't have to tell them step by step what to do. Verses 3 to 4. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. I want to pause here for a minute and camp out here for just a few moments. Because there are some significant nuggets Um, to point out here notice what it does not say it does not say that these men attempted to get their friend to Jesus but because tickets were sold out they shrugged their shoulders and said to their friends sorry dude we tried high five that's not what they said these men didn't leave talking about alternative medicine or alternative options 
they knew that based on what people were saying about this man, Jesus, that their friend's only shot was for them to get him directly to the feet of Jesus. Because based on what they had heard, that's where true healing was going to happen. Can you feel it? These men, they're, they're desperate. They're desperate for their friend. You know, the friend's desperate. He just is so desperate he can't move. He can't do anything to get himself to the feet of Jesus. But these men are desperate, which is not, not a word that comes onto the radar in 2020 in North America when you think, what does a man look like? Man, he's desperate. No, that is not a term that describes, or, uh, d- describes what we want to be told about us. Man, that dude's desperate. In fact, in high school, it's usually associated in a negative term as to why girls won't go out with the dude. He's desperate. These men are desperate. You ever been there, fellas? You ever been so desperate for Jesus to heal a family member or a friend a son or a daughter that you literally are willing to do anything short of sinning to get them to Jesus so that they can be healed? You ever been there? You ever been so desperate to be in that place? Some of you dads know this type of desperation too well for a son or for a daughter who for whatever reason is resisting coming to Jesus and allowing Jesus to heal them of whatever it is. And it's very sobering because you know that, man, if I can just get him, if I can just get her to the feet of Jesus, he'll do the rest. One of the most humbling, sobering truths as a dad is realizing that I cannot fix my kids. I can't fix my kids. I can't... I can't force my son and my two daughters to follow Jesus. I can't force them to resist evil. I can model it, but I can't do it for them. And that's the part of free will that just stinks. Desperation for Jesus, it's a God-honoring posture because it requires humility to acknowledge that you're desperate for Jesus. Scripture's clear that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So I'll argue desperation's a humble posture that honors God. You might write this next down. When we link arms and fight for, fight for getting our friends and family directly to Jesus, guess what we don't have time for? We don't have time to fight with each other when we're fighting for getting our friends to Jesus. It's interesting how those things can't happen at the same time. Full disclosure, uh, five, six weeks ago, we had a men's huddle, all Blankenbaker men, um, on December 14th. And I was getting ready to get up there and share some vision about, about why men's ministry exists and where we're going and what we're, what we're going to pursue. And literally, got a mic on just like this, spoiler alert, I'm getting ready to get up on stage. This dude comes up and says, hey man, some of the guys are rumbling about the donuts. They don't like the donuts. 
So glad you're here. But that's what we do. When we don't have a clear vision, that's what we resort to. We sit around talking about donuts. When people are getting pummeled by the enemy outside of these doors, inside these doors even. These four men were fighting for getting their friend to Jesus, and it required problem-solving, working together, checking their egos in at the door, or in their case, the roof. They didn't have time to point fingers of blame. They didn't have time to go, dude, I told you you should have brought the saws all just in case. They weren't talking like that. Instead, they were going, all right, we can't go this way. We got to figure this out. And they figured it out. We don't know how they got him up to the roof. They got him up to the roof. And I imagine they got up to the roof, and at least one of the dudes was like, now what? Right? Problem solving. The power of four dudes thinking together. These men were literally, um, they were a beautiful picture of the full force of the church, the way Jesus intends us to, to be. And the significance of linking arms together with other men. You ever thought about how different this story might have been if only one dude was trying to get this paralyzed friend to Jesus and up on a roof by himself? And how one dude can would have hoisted, tried to hoist a mat down through the like it wouldn't have happened. The dude would have fallen. These men were literally the inspiration for one of Southeast mantras, which is wreck the roof. That we heard about this past fall. One more thing worth noting out here. Notice they didn't focus, or, or excuse me, notice that they focused on one man. There's four of them. I'm sure they probably could have pushed a sled around, but four of them. But they focused on one man. They didn't have a stretcher with six to eight dudes all at once. They focused on one man, one at a time. This should be encouraging to us because... Man, it can quickly get overwhelming when you start thinking of all of your coworkers and teammates and neighbors and family members and friends and the list of people you come into contact with here in Louisville. And it's like, who don't know Jesus? And that can get very overwhelming very quickly. The thought of trying to get your arms around all of them at once. I think it's a powerful thing. We link arms together, and we focus on one at a time. It's not new. Out of my mouth, by the way. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, the message says, impressed by their bold belief. You know, Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's saying, because of their bold belief, because of their faith, when Jesus saw their faith. Pause with me for, here for a moment. This is a beyond standing room type gathering. Jesus has been, has been preaching the word. All the while, there's this huge distraction that starts happening right above him. It starts off as an annoying noise. Then it begins to build louder with pieces of roofs starting to, to drop, drywall pieces and dust falling like snowflakes, or probably little mud cakes is probably more accurate. And then this army-type stretcher starts lowering pretty much 
forcing Jesus to take a TV timeout on whatever he was preaching at the moment. Because they literally lower him right to his feet. And there it is. Jesus' words were commanding and his commands were irresistible. And this news of Jesus had spread like wildfire. And it's for this reason. It's for this reason that all these people from everywhere are packed into this place that clearly by now is sweaty and smells like B.O., and this is what all of these people have gathered to witness. You know, they've gathered to witness the show that they've heard about. It's like, man, I don't want to settle for hearing about these stories. I want to see the show firsthand for Jesus to work his magic. And as he looks down at this man who is totally dependent on Jesus' next move, he's totally dependent on his next move. And while his four friends, this man's four friends, whose shoulders and arms have to just be toast and burnt from figuring out how to get this dude up on the roof and lowering him, and their fingers are probably bloody because they've been digging through the roof. And now that these four dudes with eyes like sand dollars are looking down at this climactic moment that they're responsible for, and as they look down at this beautiful picture of their friend literally laying at Jesus' feet, they have to be thinking, this was totally worth it. This was totally worth it. Like, we did it. You can hear the orchestra music coming to a climactic, powerful finish. But with all eyes on Jesus, then it happens. The rest of verse 5. Jesus said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. In this moment, this has to sound as crazy to all these people as it would sound to a, a homeless person at the end of an exit ramp who comes up to you and asks you, I'm very hungry, can I have food? And your response being, well, I'm not going to give any food, but Hey, let me pull over here. Let me show you how to, how to change a spare tire. Right? I mean, that, that seems ludicrous. And that had to have been the same type of category that Jesus' response to this man had to have seemed in this moment to this guy who can't move. If I was one of these four friends in that moment, I'm just going to say it. I'd have been ticked. If I was one of these teachers of the law who probably, possibly had paid big money for a front row seat to the show, I'd have been disappointed. If I was one of the people who happened to make it into this jammed, packed room who had taken off work and traveled to get there to see the show, I might have even been tempted to start booing Jesus. This guy can't move, and Jesus... Your go-to move here is forgiveness of sins. Verse 6, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves. The message says it this way. Some religion scholars sitting there started whispering among themselves. <laughs> Let me tell you why whispering was not invented. 
to share compliments quietly, right? I can only imagine what these men were whispering about. Quite possibly the same exact things that I would have been whispering about. This Jesus guy is a joke. If we leave right now, we might not get stuck in the parking garage, right? I mean, these are the whisperings that are going on. Verse 7, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Blasphemy, that's not a word that we use in a day-to-day um, conversation today. Um, well, I should say, if you do, you're probably weird, right? That's just not a weird word we use. So blasphemy, I want to make sure we understand what that means. It's the act or offense of speaking sacrilegiously about God or sacred things. It's profane talk. Verse 8 and 9. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was why, this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the, this paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Verse 10 11. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The message says, just so it's clear that I'm the Son of Man and authority and authorized to do either or both. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Verse 12, paralytic got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them. And then it says this amazed everyone. Message says they rubbed their eyes incredulous, and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. We've seen some cool stuff, but never have we seen anything like this couple things here. When Jesus heals, the only response is jaw-dropping, all-striking amazement and praise to God. When God heals somebody, when God moves in such a way that the only response is only God, not, you know, man, that dude's impressive, but only God... Like the only response is to give praise to God. It's not to try to, well, was that Jesus or was that us being intelligent? Like only God when he heals. And Jesus is the ultimate healer. He's all powerful. Jesus can heal anyone and anything, period. But. Jesus did not come here to this earth the first time just so a dude who is paralyzed can get up and walk, even though that would be incredible and was incredible. He came here to earth for two primary reasons, to model for us how to live here on earth and to die on the cross for our sins so that we can be forgiven. By Jesus saying to this man, your sins are forgiven, he's essentially putting a down payment on our forgiveness some 2,000 plus years later. And did you know that Jesus views you and me the same exact way as he did this man who was paralyzed? And here's what I mean. It's not that he didn't care about this man's struggles. It's not that he didn't care about this man being paralyzed. But what he cared most about was not 
that this man could walk. Instead, what Jesus cares most about you, just like this man, is that you and I walk in freedom. That we walk in freedom and knowing that our sins are forgiven. And by the way, this is past, present, and future. And this happens only when you place your trust and your faith in Jesus, who is the ultimate forgiver of your sins. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's very clear. So I'll say it again, then it's time. It's time for this place to shake. This is an all-in play to link arms with each other at your table, to grab a stretcher, and to go out into this community and rack the roof one at a time. That's it. And so every week this semester as we gather, every Thursday at 6 in the morning, let's keep that in our frontal lobe. This isn't to come here so that we can Start trying to be a better husband, a better business owner, a better dad. This is not to come here so that we can hopefully start making progress with stop looking at porn as much. So that we can go after men who don't know about Jesus and bring them in here on stretchers one at a time. And our commitment to you is they're going to hear the truth of God's word. They're not going to hear best practices. And I promise you, God's for this. Like this isn't something we have to try to convince him to be for. Our role is to get men here so that the Holy Spirit can do only what the Holy Spirit can do. And that is to soften and to heal hearts. Guys, that's the full force of the church. It's time we do that. It's an all-in play. There's a couple questions I want you to unpack at your tables this morning. I think they're up on the, on the board, too, but just in case. Um, has Jesus forgiven you of your sins? If not, why? What's getting in the way of him doing this? Two. What sin or sins do you struggle to believe God has forgiven you for or can forgive you for? Three, who, who do you need to carry in and bust through the roof to get to Jesus? And this question is uh, for you table leaders. I think this is an important question at the end of all this is to ask this question, how can I help based on the answer? Asking saves a lot of guesswork. Guys, grateful for you. Let's get after it. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.